So if you've ever wondered if your presence makes a difference, look around <laughs> and know that it does, most definitely. So Alexa's here to teach us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, let's pray and uh, be ready to listen. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you first for who you are and for being our Lord. And we thank you for your servant, Alexa, who's given so much of herself, of her time, and of her energy, and of her heart to um, listen to what you want to tell us. Father, thank you for this study. Thank you for the way that you've made Genesis come alive for so many of us. And that we can continue to learn from stories that seem so old but they are very fresh and new in our lives today. Father, I pray that you speak through Alexa and that you uh, guard her words, guard her thoughts, and uh, allow her to know us during this time. Father, um, make our hearts open, our ears open, and put away all distractions so that we can learn today, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Today we are in the second last session of our 10-week Genesis study, or the penultimate session, you could say. Um, and we would like to try to end strong. And so we'll spend a little bit of time today looking back and reflecting on the past several weeks of this study as well as focusing on a few key words that I want you to keep in mind throughout our time together today. The first word is blessing. Um, oftentimes when I'm working with young people, we like to use hand motions. It helps us remember the things that we are learning. The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, you could think of in two parts. In this fall semester, it's the first part that we're studying together in chapters 1 through 11. So if you'd like, you can stand up or you can stay where you are, seated. But you can do these first four hand motions with me just to sort of stretch your bodies as you also open up your hearts and your minds to the Lord's word today. So we have creation and the fall and then we have the flood, and finally, the Tower of Babel. Okay, now there are two more things, two keywords that I'd like you to remember today. The first one, and these are both American Sign Language hand motions, is blessing. It goes like this. So you can try that with me. And as we talk about what a blessing is today, think about that going out and multiplying. The other word is curse. So if you take your non-dominant hand and point, have a scowl on your face, and then take your other hand and push it out. And it goes even beyond where you're pointing, beyond that. Imagine a curse, not just going to the one that it is pointing to, but beyond that, maybe even generations beyond. Okay, let us begin. 
So we just talked about the first part, chapters 1 through 11, which tells the story of God and the world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and focus on God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. These two parts are connected by an extra special linchpin blessing in chapter 12, as God conveys to Abraham that in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So before we get started on today's reading of Genesis 8, 15 through 9, and you can get out your Bibles or your study guides that have this passage, let's reflect on chapters 1 through 8, noting these themes of God's blessing and curse. The story begins with God bringing life out of darkness, order out of chaos, creating a good and beautiful world, and then blessing all of its creatures. The first blessing in chapter 1 is when God creates animals, and he blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. So God's blessing is about flourishing and multiplication of life. God's blessing is in sharing this life-producing ability in his creation. Then God gives humans an additional blessing that sets them apart as God's image bearers. They are appointed to oversee this whole flourishing world on God's behalf. As one scholar puts it, part of our blessing is to take care of God's blessing for our creation. But then in chapter 3, the fall. Humans encounter a deceptive creature in God's garden who tricks them into eating from the tree of good and evil. And instead of blessing, this tree brings curse. Man attempts to seize God's blessing on his own terms by his own wisdom. Adam and Eve see their nakedness. They are ashamed and begin blaming one another and even God about who is at fault. It's a curse because instead of abundance in life, Man ends up with scarcity, isolation, and death. But in God's grace, though they've just rebelled, even then, God promises to rescue them. In chapter 4, we see sin begins to run rampant. Blood Blood is shed. Murder occurs between brothers. Violence and oppression eventually reign, epitomized by Lamech, who actually collects wives like property and goes on to boast about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was, killing a man just because he made him mad. And as time goes on, even more violence and corruption happens, biliously consuming everyone. All people, all evil, all the time. God is broken with grief Humans are ruining the world and each other. To protect goodness of the world, God decides to wash it clean of humanity's evil with the great flood, while protecting just one man and his family. Noah, a man seen as righteous and faithful. He's like the new Adam. And here, as we go into chapter 8, verse 15, we've got high hopes for him. So here's where we are as we enter our scripture reading for today. I'll start off by um, offering some key points given by the author of our study guide for this lesson. Jen Wilkins shares how we may have a hard time reconciling this God of the flood with our New Testament idea of him. But she asks us to keep in mind that the one who decides to send the flood does not possess limited knowledge and does not have any evil ulterior motives. He is infinitely good 
He holds all knowledge. He is sovereign, and he always does what is best. He is slow to anger, and he waits for a very, very long time as things just get worse and worse before he finally sends the flood. Okay, so let's go ahead and get our Bibles open, or you can just close your eyes and let your mind pour over his word as we worship together through reading it out loud. So I'll begin at chapter 8, verse 15, and I will be reading the entire passage today, so it will take a few minutes. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never curse again the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's that blessing. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed." For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living thing, every creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds— I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. 
So we'll stop there for a moment. Now, as Jen points out in the study, did you notice Noah's very first act after disembarking the ark? He builds an altar to the Lord and worships. And the type of offering that he makes is a sin offering to his own for his own personal sin. No wonder why this was so pleasing to the Lord. He waited so long for repentance. In chapter 9, 1, God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, does this sound familiar? This is also what God said to Adam and Eve. And here we see God's covenant points back to the creation narrative in Genesis 1. God blesses every living thing to be fruitful and multiply. Remember that? Multiple times he declares that he has established a covenant with all flesh that is on the earth. Even after the fall, man is still called into relationship with the earth and every living thing. We are called to carry out God's blessing of flourishing and abundant life. Now in verse 6, we read, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. All humans are created in the image of God possessing dignity, value, and worth. And all human lives are sacred. And here the author of our study, Jen, explains that this was the law code that precedes the greater law code that will be given later to God's people. And it is a way for Noah to govern in this new post-flood era. It is basically saying that if one were to kill someone, he would be put to death. And that this not only prevents the spread of sin, but also over punishment. So do you remember Lamech's reason for killing another just because he made him mad? This is a way to combine mercy with judgment and make sure the penalty fits the crime, but does not exceed it. In verse 8, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature. Do you see God's covenant is gracious and undeserved by the recipients? And he doesn't just say that his covenant stands. He repeats this over and over and over again, and he accompanies it with a sign, a clear sign, a rainbow. Now, the author of our study asks why a rainbow in the homework that you had this week. And she asks if you can figure out which two elements are needed in order to afford a rainbow. Did you get the right answer? Rain, sunlight. It's easy for us to perceive God in general terms, explains Jen. But when we endure a rainstorm, when we had a time of trial, all of that beauty that is tied up in the light begins to be refracted for us, and we begin to see, and I quote, the blue of his holiness, and we begin to perceive the purple of his sovereignty, And we begin to understand the gold of his royalty and the green of his eternality. And we begin to understand the red of his mercy. We see him in a richer and broader way than we otherwise would. We are to consider this sign, a bow, as a laying down of a weapon of judgment, or in this case, the hanging up of a bow in the clouds. And as we're reminded in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So here it's explained that this familiar story is just a shadow of a much bigger story that happens thousands of years later. And as I quote Jen, there's another flood, a flood of wrath that is poured out 
Instead of on all humanity, it is poured on Jesus Christ on the cross and therefore diverted from you and from me. Okay, let's go back to scripture now. Chapter 9, 18. The sons of Noah went forth from the ark, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Now, of these sons, there is one who is central to God's story. From Shem, Abraham will come. From Shem, the nation of Israel will come. From Shem, the Messiah, the Deliverer will come, who, as predicted in chapter 3, will crush the head of the serpent. Yet here there's something else that is being emphasized, and that's about him. Ham was the Ham, Ham was the father of Canaan. Now in this next section, our study guide author refers to it as a weird little story in our homework, but I see it as quite significant. Genesis records the first sin and family conflict, this being between Adam and Eve, resulting in the fall. Next, we have a family conflict, again, this time between siblings, resulting in death, murder, bloodshed. And here in Noah's story, the second Adam, we have recorded family conflict between a father and his son. Yes, Noah, someone who is described as faithful and righteous, sins. So let's read chapter 9, verse 20, starting at verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garden garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. Do you remember that sign again? Curse. A servant of servants shall he be to his brother. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So we see here that Noah sinned in his drunkenness from drinking too much wine. His youngest son goes into the tent, sees him in his nakedness, and there, the ricochet effect of sin is in full motion. A father who is humiliated by his son pronounces a curse that will cause a father, Ham, to be humiliated, humiliated by his son, Canaan. We don't know exactly what happened when Ham saw father in his nakedness. At best, we can take these words at face value. However, some commentaries suggest that the phrase, saw him in his nakedness, could be a most despicable act. We don't know exactly what happened, but there are some things we surely do know. Noah sinned. His sin caused Ham to sin. 
Noah's other sons chose to respond to his sin out of respect by covering their father's nakedness. Noah, ashamed of himself and humiliated by his son, then perpetuated the family's sin by cursing future generations of his own family. And this was done by a man who experienced in his own lifetime a blessing, not a curse, by God on him, his family, the land, and every living creature. Noah sinned by trying to be, I would say, God-like, snatching up the fruit of good and evil in his pronouncement to his sons. But as we know, we are called to live differently by the very one who became a curse for us and on our behalf. So during those last 350 years of his life, we hear nothing else about Noah until he dies. And I'm not that surprised. In his last recorded act, Noah gives a blessing, but wields a curse too. I don't know, maybe in this day, it'd be called a blurse. God invites Noah and his sons into a covenant of blessing to bless others, to bless every living thing, and to be blessed. God, if you pay attention, never instructs Noah to curse others. Yet that is what Noah does. I wonder, as a curse giver, if he spent his remaining days stewing in his tent, sitting in a prideful puddle of bitterness and isolation. But as we see through the cross, we are not called to curse now. By Christ Jesus, we are called to respond to a curse from our enemies with blessing. Okay, so we not only see the parallels in the garden, the nakedness, the covering up of nakedness, we then see the consequence in a curse between Genesis 1 and this passage. But unlike the curse that came from the life-giving, perfect, all-knowing God— perfect, omniscient, slow to anger, and grieved by the turning away from life, abundant life. This curse came from a man, an imperfect, limited man, clad in shame and pridefulness, who through the giving of his curse becomes a contributor to the curse of scarcity, isolation, and death. And I am so thankful that on this side of the cross, we are so plainly instructed to be initiators and receivers of blessing, not perpetrators of curse giving. And so I leave you with some scripture on this side of the cross. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Romans 12, 19, blessed, I'm sorry, beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And remember, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and be a part of the great blessing. Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And remember, sisters, Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Oh, what a blessing. Let us pray. 
God of mercy, you promised never to break your covenant with us. And Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. And on the cross, you were made a curse with every curse that is due to us, that we might be redeemed from the curse and fully enter into the blessing. And now may we go, Lord, and we respond to you with gracious promises, with faithfulness and service and in love. Amen.